Hello there and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. On today's show, we're joined by Lara Hogan, the author of Resilient Management. Lara spent a decade growing emerging leaders as the VP of Engineering at Kickstarter and an engineering director at Etsy. She then went on to co-found Wherewithal, where Lara and her team give workshops, roundtables and trainings on core management skills. If you're a long-time listener to Inside Intercom, you may remember Lara's first appearance on our podcast back in 2016, where she shared great insights into public speaking. The link for that is in the show notes. But today we are discussing resilient management, how to support and lead a tech team. Lara covers everything from developing your mentoring and coaching skills to getting comfortable with having difficult conversations. There's so much good stuff in this episode, so let's get straight to it and head over to studio to meet Lara Hogan. Lara, welcome back to Inside Intercom. We're delighted to have you back. Thank you so much. I am really excited to to hang out again. (laughs) And for anyone who maybe didn't hear the episode, which... I think was back in 2016. Maybe you could give us a little bit about your career journey so far. Absolutely. So back in 2016, I was working as a director of engineering at Etsy. And then after that, I was the VP of engineering at Kickstarter. And since then, I basically have been trying to support managers and leaders, usually in the tech industry, as they support their teams. I try to do that via coaching. So one-on-one coaching and group coaching and also training, you know, workshops, et cetera. So, like you said there, uh, you know, about kind of, you know, public speaking, and that was what you were talking about the last time you're on with us. But today is all about how to be a resilient manager, (laughs) (laughs) which is apt, I suppose, because you've written a book about it. It's called Resilient Management. Why did you want to write this book? And and, like, what prompted it? I was spending a lot of time really thinking about, you know, what it is managers need when they enter this role. So, you know, from my experience as an engineering manager, engineering director, and then VP, I saw a lot of managers enter into this role, and myself included, without any training, without any guidance. It was kind of the luck of the draw. If you had a team of experienced managers who were good at at teaching you and helping you and supporting Mm. you, then you had that, you know, you could level up and understand what's the difference between the role of of a lead a tech lead and being a manager, because mm. of course, also that's different at so many different companies, what that means. And so I was trying my best to support folks in these kinds of roles, both folks I worked with directly and folks just, you know, within the company, outside the company. And I realized that I was saying a lot of the things, the same things over and over again <laughs> about how to be a good coach for someone, how to be a good sponsor, how to give good feedback when you're in this management role. And I realized I was thinking enough times I should probably write it down. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and thus the book was born. <laughs> and I, like in the foreword to the book, I think it was Camille Fournier says like management is a hard job, you know, that like yeah. even after years of practice, you know, you can still find yourself coming back to square one. Absolutely. In fact, I, so in these workshops now I'm giving to tons of different kinds of, of managers and leaders at, at different companies. I talk about a lot of the things that I touch on in the book. And I'm, what I'm seeing is that folks at any experience level tend to still learn something new, you know, for example, mentoring versus coaching. Mentoring is is giving your advice, sharing your perspective, suggesting things somebody could try. Mm. Coaching is about asking open questions to help someone connect their own dots. And even in these very, very experienced leadership rooms, I still work with folks that are mind blown by the idea that maybe offering their advice, offering their perspective is not the most helpful thing for somebody. Mm. 
it's it's awesome to see folks in lots of different disciplines and lots of different levels really be able to level up their own skills in supporting people around them. And so, and, and you know, li- like the workshops and, and in the book, you kind of like walk people through how to create stability and clarity and trust amongst mm-hmm. the group that they're managing. So let's go through some of those kind of yeah. areas. So what do you mean when you say managers should meet their team? Mm, I... It's funny. There's this could go so we could we could talk about so many different aspects yeah. of this. <laughs> so sorry. Right, so chapter one is about meeting your team. It's about understanding who each of these individuals are and what it looks like when they come together to work together to support each other to give feedback to one another. So that first chapter in resilient management is all about understanding them as individuals and what we can do as a group. That means everybody's going to want feedback differently in a different Mm. way, mediums, you know, that means people like to be recognized in different ways and understanding the nuances of each individual person, their strengths, their opportunities for improvement, the best way for their brains to receive feedback. That's going to help us as leaders and as managers work with them as effectively as possible. We, if you're like me, you probably try to use the same techniques, you know, with every single person that you work with. And I learned very quickly that that was not going to be successful. (laughs) Not everybody wants to hang out and talk with me about Mm. what their plans are for this sprint, for example. Some people just want to get it done. Some people want to just ping me with questions afterwards. Some people do love kind of workshopping problems together. And because everybody's different, it's it does require us as managers to understand what works and what doesn't with with different people. And I, I suppose that brings up, you know, one-to-ones, the dreaded one-to-ones mm-hmm. for, for new <laughs> managers anyway. You know, they can be obviously, you know, daunting and maybe they're suddenly mm-hmm. managing their peers. Like what advice would you give to people there? Have a game plan. <laughs> it's okay if the game plan goes out the window. That's totally cool. Everybody, everyone one's going to look different. But having a game plan ahead of time is going to allow you to make sure that this person gets the support that they deserve. And again, that's going to look different for everybody, right? Mm. Someone who's just recently joined the team, they're going to need a lot more mentorship from you, from you about how this team works, what's expected of them in their role. Someone who is just taking on a big stretchy leadership project, on the other hand, is not going to need lots of 101 information. Mm. They're going to want to bounce ideas off of you. They're going to want feedback from you. They're going to want you to give them some autonomy, right? And how they're going to tackle those projects. So have a game plan for each one-on-one based on the person that you're working with and what you know about them. That game plan is going to evolve over time. It should evolve over time. It's Mm. okay to, let's say spend a lot of time coaching somebody through a challenge and then the next week think about how you can sponsor them for a brand new kind of challenge. Or it's okay to spend a one-on-one listening to them unload and verbally process, maybe even vent because that's maybe what they needed in that moment. Mm. It's also okay to say, no, that's not how this is going <laughs> to... That's, that's not going to help us get to the most useful outcome. But again, based on the situation, it's... I want to help with the book and with the workshops and everything else I do, equip managers with all of these tools in their toolbox, that way they can figure out which ones might be the most helpful, the most useful to employ, given the situation. Right. And and I suppose like when you write about, you know, then growing your teammates, you mentioned Tuckman stages of of group development here, Mm -hmm. like the the forming, storming, norming and performing Mm -hmm. model. So this is like, this is really the storming stage, right? (laughs) It can be, yeah. (laughs) Anytime you get a group of people together, you know, at first it's like, they're often, not always, but often like harmony, you know? Yes. Mostly because people are like still feeling it out. They're trying to figure out what's 
what's going on. That's the forming stage in, in Tuckman stages of group development. And then storming is actually a necessary part. We can't like skip over mm. the friction. We can't skip over the like working it out, you know, fig- yeah. figuring out where our differences, where the misunderstandings, what do we each need? What do we each expect? That's going to necessarily have a little bit of friction and that's okay. Like the reason why it exists as a stage is for us to work through it and get to how we want to be existing and working together. What we each need, what are the baseline expectations? Basically, we need to have some a little bit of friction, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of um, clashing even, mm. which can look very different, different situations in order to make it to a more healthy group, group dynamic. Now, I'm not saying that like, Toxicity is necessary mm. to healthy healthy groups. I'm not saying that like tons of conflict is necessary right. to lead a healthy team. But there, I just want to set expectations here. If you've got some storming, treat it as learning opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> treat it as like okay, let's let's figure out how we can what we each need and how we can work together. I give a couple of examples of tools you can employ to identify that conflict. How do we can notice it and how we can kind of dig into it and see what what folks are feeling, what people need. And like you said, like it is, you know, obviously not huge amounts of it, but like, but it's just like natural, normal that like, yeah. a, you know, the, at the, at this kind of stage that you would have a little bit of friction. You got it. In order to, to kind of figure out what we actually all are here to do together. You know, friction can look like, okay, now let's get really clear about what our team mission is. Mm. You know, friction can be like, okay, we all are disagreeing about what we're here to do. So let's, let's figure out that path forward. Friction can be, I don't like how someone's, commenting on my code reviews, right? Okay, that's mm. important for us to figure out. Okay, what does good feedback look like? What does healthy feedback look like? How can we make sure everybody has the skills and tools that they need to give really powerful, helpful feedback? It could look like so many different things. And again, like you said, it's a natural part of how we kind of figure out how we're going to work together. And you kind of talk about like these four different hats. You mentioned kind of before earlier, like coaching and sponsoring. Like, can you tell me a little bit about these four different hats that you know, a manager may end up wearing, you know, during mm-hmm. this kind of growth for your your team. Absolutely. So I love to talk about these four specifically because we often combine them under the term of mentoring or managing. So, but these are four distinct skills that managers and leaders and really anybody can employ based on the situation of the person. So the first one's mentoring. I just touched on this earlier. It's sharing some advice, sharing your perspective. It's, it's the classic here's what I would do in your situation, or here's what I have done in your Mm. situation. As knowledge workers, we're often taught that that, like our knowledge is the most valuable thing that we can share with others. So most of us default to mentorship as a mode of supporting the people around us and helping them grow. I don't want to knock mentorship, but (laughs) (laughs) research has shown that it's actually not the thing that helps people grow. Mentorship mode is helps people get unblocked and it helps people onboard so there's totally a place for mentorship. Mm. But if someone's onboarded and someone's, let's say, in like a growth moment, they're trying to stretch their skills, they're trying to try out new, grow new muscles, mm. have new experiences, grow as a leader, whatever it is, we want to look at coaching, sponsorship, and feedback. So coaching is asking lots of open questions to help someone figure out what's true for them. What's important about this? What's sticky about this? What's their gut telling them? Those are all great examples of coaching questions that you can use to help someone figure out for themselves Mm. what's true. I'm a person who believes that everybody has the answers inside themselves already. It's my job to help them kind of get in touch with those answers, figure out what's true for them. So it's super duper useful when someone is, again, growing that new muscle. If we're just telling someone what to do, they don't actually learn that skill in the same way that they might if we're coaching. So those are the first two that are often conflated. We talk about coaching or mentorship. We use it as like an umbrella term, but they're actually two really distinct skills. 
Sponsorship though, this is the one that's directly correlated to career trajectory. So sponsorship is the idea that we're on the hook to help get this person to the next level by giving them opportunities to do visible, valuable work. You've probably already had a sponsor in your career, even if you didn't recognize it that way. And you've probably been a sponsor to other people too, Hmm. even if you didn't know it at the time, right? Anytime we suggest that someone work on a high impact project or put them up for writing a company blog post or shout them out in some, you know, big group meeting. Mm. That's all different forms of sponsorship. And again, it's the one that's more directly correlated to people getting further in their careers. Last one is feedback. We all know there's good feedback, there's bad feedback, but we can we can get we can get better at this. <laughs> and these four skills can be used a combination. It's not like you need to only wear one at a time. You can totally go back and forth between them based on what this person who's sitting in front of you needs. Yeah. And and like feedback is such an interesting one. I mean, I joined Inter or when I joined Intercom, like feedback was such an interesting area because I had come from being a freelancer and I'd been on my own, you know, working (laughs) for myself. But then suddenly I was in this environment where, you know, I, you know, at Intercom, we really care about feedback and giving feedback, you know, to help people. But it can take a little bit of getting used to if you're not used to it. Mm-hmm. And again, everybody's company culture is different, but also everybody's like global culture is different. So because of this, I found it's really useful to kind of talk about the different skills that we can employ when we give feedback that we can choose which one works best for us mm. in the environment that we're in. So one of the things I like to focus on both in the book and the workshops is the idea that feedback, the way that we traditionally give it looks like, hey, person, here's a thing that I'm seeing, or here's a behavior that I'm seeing you do. Here's why I think you should change that behavior. Mm. And please then do this behavior differently in this particular way. So it's typically a very prescriptive act of giving feedback. Right. I mean, if any of us have done this before, we know that it probably won't stick, you know? (laughs) Because in that form, we, the feedback giver, are focusing on ourselves, Mm. not the person who's sitting in front of us, not the feedback recipient. So... What I like to focus on when I'm teaching folks about feedback is, hey, what does this feedback recipient care about? What are they motivated by? What are they worried about? Whatever it is, what are they they most focused on? And how can I basically translate the feedback I have for them in those terms? So in the example of like, let's say someone is really steamrolling a meeting that Mm. that their peers are all in, right? They're like using up all the time. They are just dominating the conversation. They're not letting anybody else get a word in edgewise. Mm The bad kind of feedback would be like, hey, person, you're taking up a lot of time in the meeting. Please use less time or please interrupt less. Now, that's not in and of itself bad feedback, but I want to make sure this feedback is going to land. Mm. This person's going to be able to hear it yeah. and feel motivated to do something differently. And in the example I was provided, like that's not going to do any of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so instead, I like to follow what I call the feedback equation. Observation of behavior is the first part of it. Hey, person, I noticed in... The meeting last week, we spent 25 minutes out of the 30 minutes focusing on your topic. So that's fact-based, that's measurable, Mm -hmm. that's observable. That's not my judgments, that's not my assumptions. My observation should just be, here's what's happening in a fact-based way, the who, what, when, where. Mm. They'll be like, oh yeah, uh uh-huh, that's the goal of the observation part. (laughs) It's just for us to get on the same page. We're not like at a disagreement point yet, because again, this is just the facts. Then describe the impact of this behavior in a way that they might care about it. It's not always possible to do this, but when you can, it's going to make it so much easier for this person to actually like absorb the feedback and be motivated to do something differently. So I might say, okay, we spent 25 minutes at this 30 minute meeting talking about your topic. I really, I know you, you care about this and I know that you care about your teammates, like getting on board with it and being excited about it with you, right? That's the impact. Mm. The problem is 
at 25 minutes, people are zoned out. <laughs> no one's listening. Everybody's checked out. That's the dynamic that I'm seeing, right? So again, I'm not just saying this is bad or please do this differently. I'm saying, hey, hey person, I know you actually, there's a reason why you're doing this. Yeah, I know you care about it. Here's the impact I don't think you mean to have. And then the final part of the feedback equation is asking an open question. So again, we're taught to give a request like, could you please keep your updates to five minutes or whatever would be a request. But instead, let me see if I can ask it a genuinely curious open coaching question like, okay, when you're in this meeting, you're giving your update, what are you optimizing for? Super broad, super mm. like, I'm, I'm putting it right back on them being like, okay, I know that you're optimizing for something. What is it? My goal is for this person to sit back and be like, oh, huh, what am I optimizing? Yeah. And to really chew on it, right? That way we can figure out what to do differently together. It opens up a two-way dialogue rather than having this feedback be like a one-way brain dump. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so with this kind of formula, we can hopefully get to feedback that's again, going to (laughs) land, be digested by this person. And if you've nailed the fact-based observation, they're not like disagreeing. And if you nailed the impact that they care about, they're already motivated to do something differently. You don't need to make a request, right? Mm, Yeah. It's so hard to give feedback that's actually going to be heard by this other person. But I promise with a bunch of practice and thinking about it from their perspective, it can be, it can go way easier than the, the, hey, I have a request for you version. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll get there. And I I suppose that brings us on to kind of, you know, that area of setting clear expectations. And, you know, obviously it's a really important area for managers. What are some of the things people should do to like go about that? Oh my goodness. I, I like to think about this as like a balancing act between using empowerment skills, like we've talked about coaching, sponsorship, mm-hmm. and being directive and prescriptive. So it's a fine line. I like to think of it kind of like as a spectrum where empowerment's on one end and directives on the other. Based on the situation and the context, we might choose to be really empowering when we're setting expectations, or we might choose to be really prescriptive. It's going to really depend on the people who are involved, the amount of urgency, who we are as a leader, how people react to us, and just kind of the general context. Even within the same conversation, you might go back and forth between being like, okay, here's what needs to happen, which is prescriptive, Mm -hmm. and then empowering. All right, how should we go about tackling this? So there's in the book, I talk about a whole bunch of different skills that we can employ to do either one. But again, coming back to setting expectations, it's important that we like know our audience and know the context so we can know how to set expectations effectively. And your team will really appreciate it as well. Uh, I mean, they tend to, they tend because <laughs> they want choice, they want autonomy, and also they want clarity about our direction. They want to understand, you know, what they're being measured on. What's our goal as a yeah. company? How can we support that goal? There's, there's so much to unpack in there. People really do value when, when managers and leaders are thoughtful about choosing between when to empower the team to make decisions and you know prioritize versus when a leader chooses to be prescriptive and directive about what, what we're here to do. A lot of the time on this podcast, we'll end up talking about communication, whether that's between mm-hmm. teams or with customers. But for managers, communicating yeah. effectively is, is so crucial. <laughs> it's crucial and it's tough. It's one of those things I think really comes from, you just kind of have to get it wrong a bunch, mm. which really hurts. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you learn a lot from screwing up a communications plan or using just the wrong word, you know, in a, in a conversation with somebody. But yeah, in, in the book, I walk through a bunch of different ways to approach communicating effectively. Everything from like big sweeping changes that might scare folks like a reorg, right? Mm. How do we approach that? 
and all the way boiling down to like the tiniest little kinds of communication, little pieces of feedback that we might have, or just like an update that we might need to share with somebody. There's lots of new ones there. And again, this is going to be dependent upon who you are as a leader and the context of your team. Obviously, the book is called Resilient Management. So <laughs> I, like, how should people go about building resilience? Like, especially... It is especially important, I suppose, as, you know, the business world faces kind of economic challenges and, you know, times of crisis, you know, mm-hmm. maybe upon lots of businesses. Yeah. What what would you say? Yeah. If you think about when I wrote this book, it was before a lot of elections had happened in a variety of countries. It was before the pandemic. It was before, it was before a bunch of what I would now here in 2022 call recent unprecedented events. <laughs> you can say that again. Yeah, right. Uh, I think we're all sick of the world unprecedented, of word unprecedented. And I think at this stage, we're also sick of the word resilient, which is a little bit hard now reflecting on writing a book called Resilient Management. But the skills are still really relevant, right? We, especially when we're in a manager role, it can feel really isolated. It's hard to find support systems, people who can, you know, help us process what we're experiencing, what we're trying to figure out, give us feedback, help us vent, have a safe space to vent. You know, it's, it's tough because management is really often a solo experience, but also there's a lot of confidentiality involved. Right. So when I wrote the book, I focused a lot on how can we build up strong networks of support inside our organization and outside of it to help us weather, you know, the organizational storms that we're going to face throughout our management career. And it's, I mean, a lot of it's still relevant today. Thinking about who's come before you, who, who can you learn from as a mm. mentor, as a coach, finding people who are safe spaces to just like, unload, verbally process with vent in private that are going to keep it confidential. Find people who are really politically savvy within the organization that you can learn from. Find people who are good at giving you feedback, et cetera. I list out a bunch of different, you know, traits that you might want to look for as you, as you're Mm. considering building out your network of support. I love that because I think, you know, it is obviously so useful to have those various different people, just even as a sounding board for things. Yeah. And we often try to lean on our manager to do all those things, but our manager is just one person with one particular set of skills. You know, they may not be good at, there's no way that they're going to be good at all those things. So it's really important to rely on a broader group of people than just your manager for this kind of support, because it's required to have this kind of support to really be, I'm going to say the word again, resilient (laughs) as a leader. (laughs) We're going to have to bleep this word out now for the podcast. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Just before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask kind of what's next for you? Do you have any kind of like plans or projects on the go? Yeah, I've been working on a video project. So trying to take some of the workshops that I have, you know, I do over Zoom these days uh, and make them so that it's like a self-paced video course. So a bunch of them are available now. So if folks are interested in learning some of these skills around coaching, sponsoring, giving feedback, being resilient, (laughs) there's a bunch of uh, self-paced video lessons with me. You can watch me role-play difficult conversations. There's a bunch of exercises, homework. There's tons of tools in there that can help people you know, continue to build these skills. Uh, That's fantastic. So where can people go to find that? Yeah, courses.wherewithall.com. Oh, excellent. Well, I suppose I was going to ask like, you know, and where can people go to find or keep up with you, you know, online? Absolutely. So my email newsletter is probably the best place to find new stuff. It'll often get translated over the blog if you're not an email newsletter person. So if you go to wherewithall.com, you can find both the blog and the newsletter. Okay, cool. I'll be sure to put those in the show notes and on the the blog for this podcast. Well, Lara, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been great. It was lovely to catch up. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lara Hogan. If you did, why not help spread the word and give the episode a shout out on social tag at intercom. I'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can listen to our other episode with Lara all about public speaking. The link for that is in the show notes. That's it for this week. I'll be back next Thursday for more Inside Intercom. This is Inside Intercom. Inside Intercom.